Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome to Dial the Gates, everyone. My name is David Reed. Thank you so much for joining us on this uh, Sunday. We usually record Sundays, but uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> I've got Joseph Malazzi waiting, standing by here for uh, some discussion on Season 8. We're moving on through SG-1. Pretty soon we'll be hitting Atlantis, so thank you so much for joining us. Before we get started, if you like Stargate and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal if you click the like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend, and if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops, and you'll get my notifications of any last-minute guest changes. This is key if you plan on watching live, and clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days on both the Dial the Gate and uh, GateWorld.net YouTube channels. Without further ado, let's bring in Mr. Joseph Malazzi, writer and executive producer of Stargate SG-1. Welcome again, sir. Thank you so much for being here. Good to see you again. I wanted to know if you had seen this. This was concept art for the cover mm-hmm. of Stargate Worlds for the the box the box art. No, I hadn't seen that. Pretty cool. It's extremely it's it's one of my few um pieces from that time in my life. And you know, I always wondered did you have any um, uh, communication with Brad and Rob in terms of where they were going with this project? Because I know that they were consulting on it. Yeah, I mean, not really. I feel it's such a blur now because there were so yeah. many. I feel those games that kind of start started and stopped and then faded away. Um, so I remember seeing a bunch of stuff. And I remember Brad and Robert being in those discussions. But, uh, you know... After the first few just kind of came and went, I honestly stopped paying attention. Right. <laughs> no, that's certainly fair. I mean, at almost at a certain point, it's like, okay, I've got to protect myself from abuse because nothing mm. is happening. You know, right. I mean, there were some that were the, um, did you ever play the uh, uh, Stargate SG-1 Unleashed that came, that came out on uh, uh, mobile devices? I did not. Oh, man. It was good. It was well done. Hmm. Yeah, it was it was point and tap, and um, it was full uh, uh, cast uh, voiceovers. It was it was pretty well done. I was impressed, and it was it was mm. so disappointing to see the 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 whole thing get shut down. Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, I think you know one of the reasons why is because it's always interesting to go on those adventures with you know SG one, but I think the real 
fun for a fan would be to like say do an adventure in the writer's room where you break a story for like six hours and then you know you know you spend a half an hour deciding what you're going to get for lunch and, <laughs> and then basically you know the lunch order comes in and and you're missing your sushi and then you got to send you know someone back to go get the lunch it's just basically you never know it's 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 you know causing curve balls being thrown at you <laughs> you know these are these are important decisions you yeah, know i've never seen a show a, a game like that how do you think i mean so, the shows get made you know this is this yeah. is what happens that's that's great mm. absolutely um let's talk about season eight so great. we have um another so this is this is this six seven eight this is the third season on sci-fi channel and yes. Once again, you guys are thinking that, you know what, this is probably going to to be it. Um, yep. Rick, I'm I'm guessing in season seven, please correct me if I'm wrong. Rick is saying, you know, this is probably my last year. Was that the case or? I think Rick was kind of saying that uh, for a while. And okay. I think he finally kind of made the decision heading into eight. And, uh, and, and so we wrap things up i always thought that the show would end on um fishing and it's mm-hmm. interesting that season eight does but not only yeah. does it but it does twice <laughs> yeah. so yeah. and it's yeah. uh i think it's a great it, yeah. yeah i mean i'm just saying in, in a way really season eight is the end of what some people term classic SG-1, right? Um, Because, you know, I think I've mentioned this elsewhere. um, Brad and Robert had an idea for a spinoff called Stargate Command, which ultimately kind of became SG-1's ninth and tenth seasons. Yeah, and it would structurally have basically been the same show, but branding it would have... There's some thought that, you know, branding it differently would would have given it a different kind of like almost new legs with the network. Like, I don't know contractually mm-hmm. how things would have moved around, but um, it would have almost have been like, as far as, as far as the network is, is concerned, a reset with a new show. Is, is that fair or is that kind of like, no, that, really that is, case? that is fair. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I wonder if Atlantis would have come about, for instance, if we would have been doing. It's true. Stargate Command. Huh. That's a fair point. Let's take a look at some of your season eight episodes. All right. So you open the season going right back to uh, picking up the pieces where we left off in Lost City. Jack's frozen down in Antarctica. And Mm -hmm. uh, we've got um, Elizabeth Weir in charge of the SGC. Mm-hmm. So we went from Jessica Steen to mm-hmm. Tori Higginson. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I was expecting the story to have something like, oh, Dr. Weir, did you change your hair color? Oh, no, I just went back <laughs> to the original color. I've always been, I've always been a brunette. The blonde was just a phase. Mm-hmm. You know, some kind of like lan- hanging a lantern, like acknowledging that there was this, this, um, mm-hmm. this change in cast. But you guys were like, you know what? Let's just move on with the story. Was there mm-hmm. any like um, conscious thoughts potentially? Let's let's acknowledge this in some way. Let's say, or um, Dory always. I mean, said, any, you know, any, you got a new shirt. Oh, it's a nice new yeah. shirt. 
<laughs> no, any acknowledgement would have been just that kind of meta. Um, and yeah, we elected uh, not to. Although, I mean, there were plenty of times when we did. I was going to say, when reason. Bala comes through but, the gate, she yes, says, yeah, I don't yeah. know you. I would remember you. Yes. Ben Browder. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just, you know, that's one of the, that's a different situation. I think that's fair because that's a sci-fi series that a lot of uh, Stargate fans had watched. And so yeah. in that specific situation, you're, you're acknowledging a, a series connection there. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, New Order Part One, we also, if, if I'm not mistaken, we also bring back Patrick Curry in the first hour. If if I'm if I'm remembering mm. correctly, I think that that's the case. Mm. What was it like revisiting that arc from season six? Uh, it's actually one of my favorite season um, uh, season six arcs, and I love the character of Fifth. Mm. Um, and just I just kind of in general, I, I, I kind of really like the episode for its um, guest stars because I always like the. Uh, Kind of the color of the varied system lord. So we had Kira Clavel as Amaterasu. We had yes. Steve Basic, who's always fantastic. Uh, uh, you know, as, as Camulus. Um, you know, so you know, it, it just it, it really felt like we went right back to kind of like the roots of the show. I mean, be, just because SG One was always kind of mixed up of kind of. The, the show mythology that we've grown so used to that had a lot of the kind of a serialized elements. But on the other hand, a lot of the more kind of standalone um, out there episodes that really had no connection to the past. And this one had very much a connection to the past. Um, so, you know, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun in that respect. New Order in, in so many respects is, is giving birth to new content from gestating pieces over the seasons. I mean, mm-hmm. you kind of get, it's kind of a, almost a summit part two with mm-hmm. bringing in Amaterasu, you and Camulus. And mm-hmm. you also, uh, they all, you also evolve the replicators even further. Mm-hmm. Um, I know uh, you were in the writer's room when they were talking about, about uh, making a Carter villain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tell us about turning uh, the, the. I mean, I know it wasn't specifically your written by, but I mm-hmm. mean, at, at the same time, that's a big deal, you know, getting a replicator yeah. Carter. Yeah, I mean, one of the great things about sci-fi is you can always play with stuff like that. Usually through uh, time travel, or you know, the road not taken, or parallel universe stories where you kind of investigate our milieu or characters through a completely different lens uh you know kind of the classic bearded evil spock uh and (laughs) so you know it's always fun to sort of do a twist like a really warped twist on our characters and i I forget who came up with the idea i'm sure it was you know brad or robert um but i just love it and i'm sure you know uh i was about to call her samantha uh amanda (laughs) loved loved playing the bad guy I think that and, that could have gone for another season. Mm, I, yeah. I think there could have been more a, mileage a great, out of that. A great big bad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Give her some in, more insidiousness. I mean, don't get me wrong. Gemini is a, a, a great, great script. But mm. I always felt like, you know, I, I wish that they hadn't 
knocked her off so quickly. Again, you know, thinking yeah. season eight, it's probably going to be the last season, right? So you're not going to leave fans yeah. hanging on this one, which which was probably mm-hmm. the better call. Mm-hmm. So exactly. Um, lockdown. Mm-hmm. The return of Anubis, which yes. which surprised me because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, we're done with this arc. And then mm-hmm. you guys are like, no, no, we've no, had one more we're gonna have man. another yeah. season. Yeah. Yeah. What was what was uh, the nucleus of lockdown? Was that it? Um, I mean, yeah, kind of. I mean, you know, as I mentioned back in, in at the end of season four, Paul and I were like, oh, you know, I don't know how we're going to be able to come up with new original ideas for um, for season five. And then we ultimately discovered that the past, the show's mythology episodes we've done before are rich fodder for new stories and you know i always liked anubis as a as a villain he was actually kind of one of my favorites um so you know it was kind of fun in a way to kind of bring him back um it's kind of interesting also that uh our guest guest star uh uh gavin hood who plays our our general went on to i think he won an oscar for directing um uh, uh i forget it was a russian film Oh. And he also went on to to direct um, one of the Marvel yeah. movies. I think it was um, like Wolverine or exactly. Yeah, yeah, and um, and Ender's Game, I love. Too. Oh, right, yeah, he was great yeah. with that. Yeah, so yeah, very talented guy for sure. I would mm-hmm. have um, I would have loved to have seen him again in some capacity. But again, it's one of those situations where you know, nope, this is it based on the needs of the story, and yeah. you know, my with lockdown. In hindsight, and I, I'm curious to see if you if you shared the thought process on that, because of where it went mm-hmm. with later in the season, him sitting on another throne. I think I think in hindsight, for me personally, narratively, mm-hmm. it would have made sense for him to successfully escape. Because when he ends up on the ice planet, yeah. it's like, okay, how did he get out of that situation? That mm-hmm, that had mm-hmm. to have been it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he had to have had some kind of ascended help. That was the only mm-hmm. door that he could walk through, as far as I'm concerned. Well, system laws have always been a resourceful bunch. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know at the end of lockdown that you were bringing him back later on in the season? No. Okay. Well, I, well, so what was the name of the episode where we brought him back? Um, uh, Reckoning Part One. Yeah, Reckoning Part One. Yeah. No, I think at that point we did not because I think. Um, you know, we usually went off, we, we would spin the ideas for the following season. And usually we'd get up to like seven, maybe eight episodes uh, broken. And then we'd all go off and write. And then we'd come back and resume and, and, and spin. So basically at that point, uh, I think Locked On, it was episode three. Yes. Um, yeah. And then I'm not sure. Uh, but but um, it was definitely in the back half. Okay. Uh, of the season, I think episode like sixteen or seventeen. Before you go away to write the first mm-hmm. chunk, knowing that the back half is going to exist, typically on a season, would you guys have an idea of like the broader beats that you would want to hit by the end of that season, firmly placed or relatively globularly like placed in your mind, so that okay, we can't yeah. deal with these things now. We deliberately want to save X Y Z later. Yes, usually okay. we always had a pretty good idea of the overall blueprint for, for the season and where we wanted to end up. That's we'll pretty see. legit. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Endgame 
which mm. is the final episode for Ronnie Cox. Yeah. Oh, I know. You know, um, and we're we're expanding the idea of the trust. I think this was mm-hmm. the episode, if I'm not mistaken, there was there was one before it that there was a there was a, a reversal in terms of the information where Daniel found out that they were called the trust before that was meant to be revealed. This was one of those where there was some kind of technical information that was accidentally reversed in the episodes, if I'm not mistaken, mm. correct, if I'm not mistaken. Um, tell us about uh, about Endgame. More stuff with the um, Russians yeah, the I mean, older on yeah, Earth. More stuff. Yeah, I mean, that that was actually, a, you know, a uh, quite a fun episode. Like you said, Ronnie Cox uh, having him back. And, and, and Ronnie's always, you know, a delight. And, you know, I mentioned how I ran into him in, in L.A. like a couple of years ago at a, at, a, at a diner. And I was like, hey, you know, Ronnie, and just, you know, wanted to say, you know, I work with you on Stargate. He was like so complimentary about the time his time on Stargate and, and how sort of the production, you know, treated him really well. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, that's always, always nice. And, and really the idea for Endgame came about as a result of, I think it was an idea that Brad had, and it was really more kind of the visual of coming down to the gate room and the gate not being there. <laughs> What's the story? <laughs> So, so we have to figure out uh, a way to get the gate out. Osiris had a ship in orbit. It's been mm. orbiting for a uh, little less than a season, a little less than a year at that point. And mm. that's a great nugget where it's like, well, she had to have come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another one that I wish we had always gone back to was, yeah. was Sarah Gardner because I, mm. Anna Louise was brilliant. She was. You know? She was. Um, was there any ever a side side question? Was there any um, consideration for bringing her back? Was it just the story didn't come up, or did she say, yeah, you know what, I'm I, not going to be available for the next little while? No, no. Um, you know, she she was a great villain. I think really, um, you know, l- like you said, you head into the season assuming it's your last. So there are really things you want to sort of deal with. Yeah, we resolved it. It's going to be your last. Yeah, your your last season. So that's fair. That was a point of focus and uh you know, I I you know, I, like I said I would have loved to have had her back if we would have had a a story specific to her character. Absolutely. Um I I I think I got I think I got it mixed up. I think I mentioned that in game had the Russians. I don't think we get the Russians until full alert. So I'm wrong about that. I apologize. Mm. Um it's good to be king. Another resolution for one of our favorite guests, uh, Tom Mc, uh, Tom Macbeth. Well, it's it's not yes. so much a resolution as it is yeah. because um, in season six he really he really had one with Paradise Lost. But this is mm-hmm. one of those where it's like, if we've got the time, let's check in on Harry and see what's up. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about this. Good to be king. Yeah, I mean, uh, we always kind of like the funny episodes. And even, you know, overall, I think Stargate SG-1 especially was infused with a certain sense of humor throughout all its episodes. But occasionally you would do those episodes that would veer more into the humor. And, you know, it was just kind of a no-brainer for us. We just kind of loved the Jack-Harry uh, 
relationship mm. that that uh, and Rick did too. Brad and Robert. Yeah, yeah. So it was just kind of a fun episode. And I remember uh, Wayne Brady guest starred. Yes, he did. And and you know, I remember uh, being told oh, Wayne Brady's in in in, uh, in wardrobe. So I usually just my episode I like to go down and say, hey, welcome to Stargate. And I went down to welcome Wayne Brady to the Stargate. And he was trying on his um, Jaffa uniform. And I was like, hey, you know, welcome to Stargate. And but he was so tuned out. He was so focused on how cool he looked in his <laughs> Jaffa uniform. It was uh, great. And he was like super nice. I mean, he was doing like a comedy show in Vancouver around the same time. And he offered, uh, you know, uh, the crew and uh, tickets and uh it was just, you know, I, you know, one of those episodes that I, I, I think back to uh, fondly on, on sort of the, uh, the production and, and just the, the performances as well. You know, I mean, Tom is always excellent, but he really just makes a meal out of this one. Oh, man, that's it. They're walking up. He's yeah. got the fruit in his mouth. It's just so yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it was a real, um, I love the scene when he admits to the town that he's, you know, not prophet mm-hmm. but i think her name is garen she's like our legal code our aqueduct system or something similar were these all written mm-hmm. on the walls he's like no i i came up with them and it's like yeah this this guy mm-hmm. has come a long way and they yeah. they, they they vote him back in anyway <laughs> or they keep him where he yeah. is and yeah. everyone's like well we tried <laughs> so. yeah a nice little redemption beat for right for a character Absolutely, you know we're not. Yeah. Uh, not all the villains are uh, destined for the gutter, so. right? Right. And I don't know if he was always. I get he was more a thorn in uh, in SG One's side rather than a guy being an out and out villain. Absolutely. I think he started as a villain, but yes. and then became kind of a more colorful, um, I guess, you know, agent of chaos, if you will. Yeah, that's fair. Definitely a mm-hmm. wild card. You know, mm-hmm. he's he was uh, SG-1's version of the Janai and those mm-hmm. kinds of elements. Man, I really mixed these two up, Full Alert and Endgame. I apologize. But, yeah, the no. Full Alert, the Russian elements. Well, uh, another um, – uh, one of the earlier appearances of Mike Dopud as, yeah. as a Dopud, Russian. Yeah. What a fantastic actor, you know? He is. He is. Everything that he ta- – talk about someone who makes a meal out of characters. You know, this guy, yeah. he had played in, in – some respects in SG one with um, Odai Ventrell, you know, yes. kind of like the perfect person that you would think would get sucked up into the Lucian Alliance. So when he was Varro for a while yeah. there, I thought that that was him. Yeah, you know, but mm-hmm. in, in some cases, and you know, it, who knows? It could very well be. I mean, he could be operating under an assumed name. Assumed name, absolutely. Yeah, yeah for sure. There, there are um, certain circumstances where. You guys, like uh, Lauren, for instance, Kevin Smith was introduced mm-hmm. in season seven, and then you bring him back in two years later for Atlanta season two. What is the process by which you say, well, we're bringing this character, like for Lauren, for example, was Lauren mm-hmm. meant to be on Atlantis or was it that Kevin was, if you can recall, Kevin was hired and then it's mm-hmm. like, well, you know what? He already played this this military guy over here you know depending on who wrote the episode because there's i'm sure a percentage mm. because you you create whoever it was created that character gets i believe a percentage for bringing them back in when is it decided yeah. when that that's that gonna be really, the case honestly that really has nothing to do with it and, it doesn't and, you know okay um i i think 
to be honest with you, I, I forget how exactly it works, but um, you know, percentages and, and, and royalties are never you figure into it. It's really okay. more comes down to sort of what serves the story and how much we like the character. I mean, the perfect example of that is McKay. Correct. You know, what David Hewlett did with that performance and just the fact that we, you know, we were short a crew member. Right. On Atlantis. And then Rob floated the idea of, of McKay. And, and then he just. <laughs> That's all she wrote, man. It. And it's the same thing with uh, Robert Picardo's uh, Woolsey. He was a character who, you know, the pencil pushing bureaucrat who we loved yeah. in his one guest spot. And so we brought him back and brought him back sure. again. And every time we would bring him back, we'd kind of flesh out his character a little more to the point where basically he becomes the lovable uh, commander of the, exp- the Atlantis expedition, but his character doesn't really change. You just get to know him better. And right. Kind of, exactly. like, well, kind that was the, where he's coming from. That was the thing with McKay as well. You never took away that mm-hmm. edge that he had in 48 hours. And that was the mm-hmm. fun of it. And I was, I don't know if I mentioned this to you or someone else, but I remember thinking to myself when um, I saw that uh, the 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 promotional shots and uh, for Atlantis and David Hewlett was there. Mm-hmm. I remember telling Darren, "This is going to be a disaster. No one's <laughs> going to like this guy." But that is not what happened. My expectations mm-hmm. were absolutely defied every step of the way mm-hmm. for David Hewlett because the fan base was mm-hmm. willing to give him a free pass. I don't mm-hmm. know if they would in this day and age. Mm. You know, if if the character came on now, but then it was like, you know what? Let's just see what he can do, and right. he was just magic. Yeah, so yeah. it's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, Citizen Joe, mm-hmm. Dan Castellaneta. Mm-hmm. When did he come into the process uh, for this? Was it? Just a coup that you guys got him, you know, when it, you did because it was gonna, it was, it was well down the was, pipeline, or you know, it, it was kind of a coup. Uh, well, it was know, definitely a coup. R- let me say that. <laughs> now, Richard Dean Anderson was obviously a huge Simpsons fan, and he had already done the Simpsons, so they owed yes. him one. Yeah. So, no, actually, I think, I think it might have been the other way around. He, he was actually invited to do a script reading. I mean, I could be wrong. Um, do a script reading uh, or take part in a script reading. He went in and he met everyone and he loved it. And then we had, we were looking to cast and we ended up casting Dan because, you know, Rick had met him and he was great in the episode. And then I believe subsequently Dan got a, a writing assignment on the Simpsons and he repaid us by writing them in. And you, I could be wrong, but maybe check the, the date on on maybe that that you know Citizen how they line yeah. up. So, that's but that's what I seem to recall uh, at the time. So, Citizen Joe, that's um, aired eighteenth February two thousand five, mm-hmm. and then what was the episode? I Richard Dean Anderson, Simpsons, Simpsons. Sorry, everybody. I'm I'm we'll get to the really bottom curious. Of this. Yeah, we are gonna kiss kiss bang Bangalore. Mm-hmm. Uh, came out 9th April 2006. 2006. Yeah. So isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. I have always had that backwards. Mm-hmm. Well, spank me, Rosie. All right, mm-hmm. <laughs> a great clip show idea. Yes, yes. Holy, a cow. lot of fun. Very funny. And it introduces a new concept that. Kind of like Richard Woolsey is almost a one-off, 
But mm-hmm. later on, when you're when you're moving into content for season nine, and eventually, I mean, universe, what what a piece of technology! I mean, I've got one right here. Mm-hmm. You know, these things you wouldn't think that this would be a cornerstone of of Stargate's um, uh, uh, sci-fi, but it right. is. You know. Yeah. I, how how cool is that? You know, it's one of those it's one of those situations where it, it you you create a a plot device and mm-hmm. you kind of have to massage it into position as you go forward because both of these actor uh, both of these characters who have the ancient gene they touched it and they could kind of see each other's minds mm-hmm. uh, what they were th- what they were experiencing and then in the next episode where we see them again it's one way communication because the stones are attached. But mm-hmm. the other characters on the other side aren't awake because they don't have stones attached in the terminal. It's it's a situation where you kind of have to evolve the technology as mm-hmm. you move forward based on the needs yeah. of the story. And I imagine mm-hmm. you guys did that a lot. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Those communication stones, it was a really cool idea, but they were incredibly controversial, especially when you get into Stargate Universe. And, you know, the the reason for doing it obviously was to sort of open up the almost claustrophobic feel of universe where you're on this ship mm-hmm. and um you know we, we were looking to avoid doing the force like we did in sg1 we wanted it to be as alien as much as you know out there as possible and so a way of opening things up was using the communication stones to communicate back with earth um and that, and that created all sorts of complications as well. But um, some would argue, some in the room would argue that it made things a little too easy, oh. uh, the communication with Earth. Um, some didn't really love the Earth connection because they kind of led to stories that were, um, I don't want to say less sci-fi in their conceit, but but certainly more grounded in, in the reality of the here and now, as opposed to sort of the far-flung adventures of, uh, uh, of, a, of a, a crew in, in, in distant uh, galaxy. Um, so, I mean, you know, it was controversial with the fans and, and you know, I'll admit in the, in the writer's room, some of the writers loved it. Some of the writers did not. Where, where did and you fall? I, I didn't like them at all. You didn't care for them. I was, I was the, uh, of the opinion that I, I just like I understood why you you use them to sort of open up the world but I just always found them kind of like a step back into um lesser interesting uh explorations interesting. Um, so, I mean I mean it opened a character really so I mean in, yeah. in that respect it, I, I can't say it was like you, you know it wasn't a waste of time or anything I just found those stories less interesting and 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 kind of the way the apparatus of the communication stones kind of muddy. So I'm I'm curious now because are mm. are you saying that you would have not preferred for there to have been earthbound stories in universe or are you saying that if there were earthbound stories you would have preferred them to be in a different way? Uh I probably would not have done earthbound stories. Really? Had them completely yeah. cut off and out there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because for Atlantis season one, they're cut off. And that was, mm-hmm. I think, a major part of the story. In some respects, I think Atlantis would have been served better for being mm-hmm. cut off longer. 
I mean, yeah. think of the Wraith coming mm-hmm. and then Earth saving the day. It's kind of like a deus ex machina in the end. Mm-hmm. They're coming mm-hmm. through with the ZPM and, you know, they got this ship coming and everything else. If they had to fight off the Wraith with all that they had brought with them from Earth in that first go around, I think it would have been a more intense story mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and a more futile situation as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Atlantis, you know, was always trying to achieve this lighter balance, too. So it may not have yeah. been the show to go that place. Yeah, and, and again, I don't disagree with you, even though, like, I was the one who came up with the idea of the gay bridge, and then afterwards, in hindsight, I was like, ah, maybe... <laughs> then you guys blow you know. it down. But then again, yeah, but then again, <laughs> I mean, if we hadn't done it, we wouldn't have had episodes like Midway, where, where Teal, uh, you know, shows up, so... Sometimes you have to... to to build up an idea only to later destroy it and take satisfaction right. that either yes. we went there and it was great or we went there and let's yes. never go there again. Right. You know, absolutely. Mobius. Hmm. So was what this your brainchild? No, I mean, the brainchild, any, any script is always a brainchild of the writer's room where you basically yeah. you all sit down. Maybe someone has a kernel of an idea, but I don't recall um, who came up with the original notion, but, um, you know, it, it was just another case where we all sat down and, 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 and beat out the uh, two-parter over the course of like, a week, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of crazy when you think how quickly we beat out stories, uh, because I think most, uh, most shows that do 10 or 13 episode seasons usually do writer's room f- for three months to break stories, whereas... Um, you know, we used to do them in, you know, maybe, uh, two episodes a week. Meanwhile, I, wow. I, yeah, I mean, on dark, dark, my, my record was dark matter for the first season of dark matter was, uh, Paul Martin Guerra and I, and we broke all 13 episodes over the course of two and a half weeks, which, uh, which is crazy. But, but it also suggests the, I mean, that you guys have got some, fairly good ideas in that first batch yeah. and yes, have, an idea, have a very clear road of where you want to go. I mean, yes. Yeah, I mean, the hard part of the writer's room is coming up with that initial idea. Once you come up with that initial idea, then everybody starts thinking and they start coming at it from different angles and 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 the, the story begins to take form. So really, it's that initial notion that, that, that um, you know, that, that spark that that really gets everything going. So, what was the spark for Mobius? Was it we got to get a, a a fresh ZPM to Atlantis? What was that? What was that? I think the spark, to be honest with you, was a, was the belief that this was going to be our last season and that we were going to wrap things up and we were going to say goodbye to classic SG one and goodbye to Rick, and you know we wanted to do a story that paid tribute to what had come before. Uh, and, and, you know, it's what I mentioned earlier on, the idea that you get to explore our characters in different ways. And so it's kind of a uh, not only fun for us and kind of a salute to the series, but it's, you know, extra special to the audience as well. And longtime fans who will get like the in jokes and, and, the, and, and the contrasts. Um, and I think Mobius 1 and 2 still ranks as like one of the top. It's up there. It's up there for sure. And you got to love uh, Rick's line. And I'm paraphrasing. Let me kill him now so I don't have to in in (laughs) 10,000 years. You know, it's like you can't do that. There are certain things that have to happen just by being here, you know, putting footprints in the sand. We're contaminating the timeline. So and it's in hindsight, it's like we now know that SG-1 
took part in that rebellion on earth that they were mm -hmm. there yeah you know they played a so role yeah that's always kind of fun when you, you you're able to do time travel in a way that um really has our protagonists not only participate but influence in a way that fits into the timeline mm -hmm. absolutely yeah and it's an interesting question if you remove the Stargate from history, if Ra takes mm -hmm. the Stargate with him, mm -hmm. what happens, you know, all those thousands of years later to our characters? You know, Carter becomes a, a, a second-rate assistant and Daniel becomes mm -hmm. a third- or fourth-rate English teacher. <laughs> yeah. You have to do something with the characters, you know? Yeah. And I was always like, well, that's interesting. I'm mm -hmm. not sure I love it, but, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. that's... You wouldn't have watched that show approach. then. You wouldn't have I, watched that show, probably not. I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Okay. You're but you you're know honest. what? It's yeah. still it's still fun. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, who was it that I was talking with, you know, when you guys were in production? They said, we're in bonus land now. You know, mm -hmm. there's a certain pinch yourself. I can't believe this is happening to me. We're doing eight seasons of this great sci-fi mm -hmm. show. Let's do, let's let's throw something against the wall here and see if see if it sticks. If it does, yeah. it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Two hundred, mm -hmm. great example of something that yeah. was just like amazing, and it's just so yeah. out there. Mobius has those elements as well. Yeah, yeah. And to be um, fair, sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna, I was going to say, unlike two hundred, though. I think Mobius really is grounded in uh, a real story and, yes. and, and, and real stakes and, and, and really speaks to, like I said, the mythology of the show. And you were not only the mythology of the show, but the mythology of the franchise. It's something mm -hmm. that I failed mm -hmm. to mention uh, earlier with It's Good to Be King. You introduced an Atlantis asset into the SG-1 oh, yes. universe yeah, that you yeah. later bring back here. Yep. Exactly. I loved... Especially with this with this season, it, it was it was certainly done later on as well. But um, season eight of SG one and season one of Atlantis really share a lot of story elements. Where you know, in um, uh, Before I Sleep, one of my favorite Carl Binder stories, mm -hmm. um, you introduce you introduce Janice and the the whole idea that the first time they went to Atlantis, it didn't work. You know, mm -hmm. everyone drowned. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the end of it, there's a nugget that, you know what, I'll, Janice says to where I'll continue my research. And here it is, proof that mm -hmm. he did, you know, mm -hmm. and God knows what else he created. I still believe he created Reese. But, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's, uh, uh, there's so many story connections there. And was that something that you were deliberately going into with season eight and season one of let's, let's tie some of these elements together or while you were going, it was like, you know what, this makes sense to share this here and there and let's reward the audience for watching both shows. You hear me? Yep. Sorry. I lost you there. I lost no it's internet a, connection. Uh, yeah. Did, did my words cut out too? Yes. Okay. Let me back up. So uh, when you were doing season eight of SG-1 and season one of Atlantis, was there a deliberate um, uh, approach to to share story elements or was it while you guys were going on along? It was like, well, you know what? This this works here and this works here. So let's reward the audience for watching both by giving them things that only they would know if they watched both shows. You know, uh, when do we start Atlantis? That was 2004. 2004. So basically, season eight and and 
Atlanta season one premiered at the same yes. time? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, in that case, we were crazy as it sounds. Uh, producing 40 episodes of television right. the same year. So we were breaking the stories at the same time. So, um, you know, definitely then we the, uh, the directions or the stories that we were telling on one show were informing or hopefully setting up uh, elements uh, in the other shows as well. Got it. Yeah, there's just certain, I guess it just proves that, you know, when you've got a good idea over here, mm-hmm. if there's anything that can be used over here, you know, let's yeah. just go ahead and, and share it and make it happen. Yeah. So yeah. pretty successful season, all things considered. Yeah. And, you know, was it um, uh, when you moved in into season nine, um, mm-hmm. was it tough i mean you had the 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 huge benefit of of ben and claudia which we will get into Mm -hmm. next month um was it even though rick had certainly earned every bit of everything that he had done with his time on the show and saying you know what i'm good now and we're all like Mm -hmm. you know what this has been amazing we get it was Mm -hmm. it still was it still hard to see him go oh yeah absolutely i mean he was a lot of fun to write for um you know we would always gravitate to the characters that that had that sense of humor. So whether it was, um, you know, uh, McKay, it was a great example. Uh, Vala was another great example. Uh, and obviously Rick, he was the guy. He was the everyman. He was, uh, you know, we would all always kind of adventure vicariously through Rick. And he would his character would always say the stuff you would always think, but obviously could never say right um and so he was just kind of that character was a lot of fun to write for and 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 you know season nine was was very different not you know you know any worse or necessarily any better it was just different and and we did miss uh the o'neill character was there conscious or otherwise spoken or otherwise and i i'll just ask you to be as candid Mm -hmm. as you're willing Concerned that the show might not work without him. I uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, we we got that nine season pickup, and we'll we'll go into that. But yeah. I mean, there there was uncertainty as to whether we would get that that ninth season. Yeah. Um, and I think casting Ben Browder was kind of one of the, uh, you know, elements that, that helped get that pickup. I mean, the right, the ratings were pretty solid as well. Um, and we were kind of building that Friday night uh, sci-fi Friday block. That's right. Uh, that, that was must-see television. Always, yeah. With the network would always kind of build up and then knock down and then build up <laughs> and knock down. It's but, so uh, true. Yeah. Oh my God. What yeah. were they doing? Yeah. Oh gosh. Two in. Come on, tune in, support these shows. Okay, that's enough out of you. Yeah, except wrestling, wrestling. Yes. Um, and it shows. We'll we'll talk about this probably a little bit further moving uh, forward into this. But Lou Gossett, mm. Bo Bridges, Ben Browner, mm. Claudia Black. You know, a lot of and not specifically the ones that I just mentioned, but a lot of talent. From my understanding, is you got these high caliber people, mm-hmm. many of whom were doing it. Because their families loved the show. Mel Harris is another great example of that. Her son Byron loved the show. And -hmm. you were getting these people who were, you know what, I mean, just absolute superstars who were like, 
you know, I can do what I want at this point in my career. And I want to do things that my family will enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, uh, I remember actually reading an interview with Forrest Whitaker where he mentioned Stargate and Sci-Fi Fridays. And I was like, guys, we've got to get Forrest Whitaker on the show. Sadly, we never did, but that would have been a dream. Oh gosh. Yeah. You know what? I mean, you had, you had a great following there and it was, you know, mm-hmm. that was, that was the years of TV guide, you know, being on the cover of, of TV guide and everything else. So there was, there was, um, it was, it was a great era for Stargate for sure. And, um, I think I think it resonates to this day. Got some fan questions for you, sir. Oh yeah, let's do it. Uh, what is the Goran and Donovsky? This is kind mm-hmm. of an aside to what we discussed. Maybe maybe we can get into a, a little bit of it. Was there a specific story driving King Harry Mayborn? The story behind putting him as as a king. Uh, just really the character himself. I mean it. it that that's a kind of a dream situation for a character like like Harry Mayborn, and uh, I mean obviously the inspiration was um, uh, the man who would be king, right? Um, <laughs> you know, um, but we you know most of our stories would always come about as a result of wouldn't it be fun if we did this, and certainly O'Neill and Harry were always fun. So if we could find a way to sort of uh, create a story for them and put them in kind of a out there situation. We obviously would, and this, mm. you know, this this was a, a perfect example of, of those pieces kind of falling into place, and it, and it worked hilariously. Russell Baldwin, with Earth having become so technologically advanced by the end of the show, I'm guessing he means SG One, um, mm. maybe the franchise. How would you have reset the balance with any alien threats that Earth would have faced in the future? Um, and that's assuming you would want to reset the balance at all. Yeah, I mean, at that, you know, that's a tough question in that, um, you know, obviously we dealt with the Ori knowing that the 10th season would be would have been our last um, I don't know what we would have done for for season eleven if we had gotten that like Apple deal. Um, mm. Maybe things would have changed, but uh, honestly, I don't know. I mean, there there are certain technologies that um, you know. Again, the writers' room would always come together mm. uh, for the stories, but there would be healthy debate. Um, I was never a big fan of the beaming technology we had, and I remember actually uh, Ben. Uh, Browder especially was not a huge fan. He's be, he'd be coming by my office like, there's got to be a way to get rid of that beaming technology. <laughs> something happens, you know, you, you end up inside a rock or something and they can't use it. <laughs> and you kind of, uh, you kind of, the, the only solution that I can even think of is is one that you kind of use with the hyperspace windows is the uh, tarot device in Atlantis. You know, you create something out there in the universe that once it turns on, distorts certain frequencies and makes things unusable. Well, you know? yes, but what a great there's idea. Also, yeah, but there's also what we would we often did uh, with technologies is we just send it to Area 51 and <laughs> our, our incompetent, slow moving bureaucratic gov- government would uh, yeah it would just disappear into sort of whatever <laughs> you know backlog of uh, of things they have to get around to. 
and uh, you just wouldn't hear about it again. And it, it may seem kind of like, oh, implausible, but really, when you think of how governments work, totally believable. Totally believable. Yes. Aside, mm -hmm. the Air Force wanted to support uh, Independence Day, Dean and Roland's Independence Day, mm -hmm. if they did not mention Area 51. That's that's what mm -hmm. Dean Devlin has said. The mm -hmm. Air Force clearly supported SG-1. Mm -hmm. I guess I can't believe I've never asked this question, but I haven't. Were you ever given any crap for using Area 51 in stories? No. I was never. And I don't think Rob and Brad were either because I think they would have mentioned it. Yeah. I've always well, wondered think, that. Because you guys call, used think, Area 51. Did we use Area 51 or do we refer to it as Area 52? Area 52 was considered the Stargate program at the end of uh, Season 1, I believe. Area 51 okay. was definitely visited. Okay. You know, the mimic devices were stored there. Um, mm. McKay was sent there. Uh, for sure, Area 51 was a thing. Well, I guess, I guess, I guess Area 51... I'm not sure what really the difference would be between the film and the series, but maybe the Air Force are going kind of accustomed to sort of the way the series worked and mm -hmm. kind of the fun aspect of the show. And eh, no one's going to take this seriously. Well, exactly. <laughs> it's plausible deniability. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, in the words of Hammond, you know, uh, in uh, Wormhole Extreme, in the event of any future breach, we'll be able to point to this program. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's like, there you go. Mm -hmm. That's if it stays on the air. All right, uh, Eva Lipinska, Ryak's yes. last Ryak's last appearance in Stargate was in Sacrifices. Was hmm. that the planned end of his story? Did you guys have anything else in mind moving forward? He's mentioned. He's he's referenced as being part of negotiations. Yeah, I mean he he and a lot of other characters were were characters who we would revisit every now and again, and it would always be story dependent. Hmm. So you would think that okay, well their story is wrapped up. But if you ever kind of revisit that world or you, you have a story that, you know, that would, 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 would require them, then um, you would go back to them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, once we once we'd written sacrifices, there were really no plans to uh, revisit the character in the future. But you know, had we done a season 11, who knows? Maybe we would have. Damn Apple. Not Apple, um, sci-fi channel. <laughs> Jeez, man. Uh, the Dragon AF1. I'd like to know how Joe would make Eli wake the crew up if he had the opportunity to write that story. You should you should check out uh, my blog because I think shortly after the cancellation, I did, I did a dedicated blog post that actually has turned out to be my most read blog post over 13 years wow. of daily blogging. Um, what possibly could have happened? I mean, I can't really say really what could have happened because we we never got the chance to sort of sit down and and spin stories for the for the following year. I remember actually uh, we had kind of been told that we would maybe get a, a pickup for right. a third and final season, and then that went away, yeah. and that was that. So. That I, I think I remember that because um, I loved the uh, uh, alternate human race concept that mm -hmm. you guys threw. Mm -hmm. and, and the moment that the time travel stuff happened earlier on in that season, I was like, well, I know we're going to go back to those guys. They didn't just go nowhere. They mm -hmm. went in the past or something equivalent to it. And uh, 
I remember, I think you indicated that one of the possibilities was that an SG team from that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. version of humanity yeah. was yeah. operating in that galaxy. And I was like, that is cool. Our yep. descendants, you know, went and created their own versions of an SG team. Again, and it would have explained why, uh, you know, the, the some of the planets, for instance, we visited would have human, uh, yeah, you know, human life. Because that's a, sort of another thing, basically, you know, why weren't we, you know, how, how are we running into humans all the time? And it kind of made sense within the conceit of the Stargate system established in SG-1, mm-hmm. um, and less so in Atlantis. Um, and, you know, in the universe, we, when we, you know, we stuck to mainly uh, aliens, but this would have been a great explanation for why we could have. Absolutely. You know, for sure. Distant descendants. Um. Jet Ison, do you have any influence to help bring Stargate back to uh, back to Gloria in a new series, or will you be more of a supportive writer? Again, that's all Brad at this uh, point. Right? Yeah, I mean, in terms of influence, it's really the fandom. Yeah. I, I, there we I go. Think, um, I think obviously it's Brad, it's great material, and it's the fandom, uh, and those three things. I I, I consider myself a. Uh, um, a facilitator of sorts <laughs> between all these uh, elements and, and if anything I can do to help, I'll be more than happy to. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to get a little ahead of myself. Brad, uh, you know, is, is spearheading the, the, the creative efforts to get uh, a new show uh, off the ground. And, and there was a delay yeah. um, due to the, um, to the pandemic. And then I think it was like a, a reshuffle at, at MGM. And I don't know if that affected things at all. Given that, mm, I wouldn't uh, be surprised. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, hopefully things will be back on track and uh, or are back are back on track and uh, we'll get hashtag SG four. Yeah. yeah, I'm all about SG4, it. SG four. Yeah, yeah. Scottio seven oh nine. Any reason why you guys knocked off? Uh, a particular reason why you knocked off Jacob and Selmak in season eight? Um, there's there's an indication in like season two, you know, when mm-hmm. they're when they're deciding whether or not they're going to even like each other. That mm-hmm. I'm going to spend the next hundred years with you, you know. Yeah. We have to spend some time together. Um. No. Again, I think it was kind of tying up elements. Um. Uh, assuming the eighth season would be its last, and and specifically, uh, with regard to elements of the Goa world and the Tokra, uh we were looking for I guess, closure and, and really that's what, what, what drove the, uh, that particular decision. That's fair. Chantel Leo, what's your opinion of the Pete storyline? I would have liked the character more if he had been introduced yeah. as someone on the fringes of the SG program, like uh, Carrie Johnson with Jack. Yeah. I love David Delaware as an actor. He, he was great. Uh, the character. I mean, uh, Hindsight's you know. twenty twenty, man. Yeah, I mean, it's always you know. the way you you want to sort of explore characters, and and then, like you said, in hindsight, you're like, ah, was that necessarily the best way to do that? Was it the most interesting way to do that? Did he come across as a bit of a creep? Maybe, <laughs> you know. But I love it. You give him the line yeah. in season eight. You know, you didn't you didn't shy away from me when you found out I stalked you. You know, those mm. little nods to the fans are perfect. Mm-hmm. It's like, because they do kind of go hand in hand, you know, in yeah. so many respects. You're you're responding to the actors in mm. terms of developing stories, and you're watching yeah. what the fan community is doing in developing mm-hmm. stories. Not so deliberately, but, you know, yeah. still, hey, if there's something there. Mm-hmm. 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 
Uh, Shelly Johnson, Vala, was introduced in season eight. Was she supposed to have a bigger part in that season or was she definitely a one-off in season eight? She was a, definitely a one-off in season eight, but we loved her performance so much. We loved her character that um, there were, you know, almost immediately after uh, we watched the director's cut of the episode, we thought for certain that she would be a character we would be uh, bringing back in the near future. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. what, a, what a coup to have the two of them, you know, playing yeah. off of each other again. And I know that there was reticence of putting them too closely together because, you know, they had mm-hmm. obviously been at the end of Farscape Husband and Wife. But mm-hmm. I love, um, um, I think it's Bounty. Uh, the uh, mm-hmm. I, I love the uh, the oh, high school reunion yeah, plot. It's yeah, so yeah. good. Yeah, Smile. I mean, <laughs> they're actors. They're actors right. who play different characters, and so I, I, I was I kind of found it odd that you know there was kind of a reticence to cast them both as as regulars because the feeling was it's too much like Farscape. Well, it's, it's actually nothing like Farscape. I mean, you could At argue that maybe that maybe there's certain elements of Cam's character, they're not really a bit of John Crichton, but Val's character and Aaron Soon are completely different characters. Totally different. And I, totally I, I different. wouldn't be surprised yeah. if that's one of the reasons she was like, oh, I'll jump on extending this role. Because, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure she had to have had a good time. Yeah. No, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Why, why else, you know, move your family, you know, mm-hmm. clearly on the, other, on the other side of the world for a couple of years. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, I mean, you have to follow the work, too. So there is that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shelly Johnson. Chris Judge is listed as a writer on a, on a number of episodes that deal with Jaffa. How did that happen? Was he the one who came up with the Jaffa culture? Uh, he was not the one who came up with the Jaffa culture. But um, as um, obviously the show developed, he had story ideas. And uh, I think in some instances, he actually wrote uh, the, the teleplay, the script. So... Um, yeah, he, he did end up having a couple of uh, writing credits on the show. Absolutely, he did. They were they were good ones. I just rewatched The Changeling the other day, and when it gets to that moment of Daniel saying, you know, I, I haven't left your side. I'm not going anywhere. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's so good. Uh, I can't pronounce this name, so I'll spell it X-U-I-Q-I-L-A. I'm, I'm not even going to try. Mm-hmm. Um, when would you know? year over year, if you had been picked up for a new season. It wasn't consistent, right? It was never consistent. It was why, never and consistent. why was Sometimes that? Sometimes, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. That, that's a good question for, for sci-fi. Sci-fi executive. You should have them on, on, on Dial the Gate. Uh, I, I'll have I, some questions for them, too. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we would sometimes we wouldn't find out to like, the last minute. And, and it was just kind of very frustrating. And, and you know, we would kind of, like, you know, poke and prod and they'd be like, yeah, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to wait till, you know, till we, you finish airing or, you know, we're, we're having our, 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 our wilderness retreat where we're packing up mm. the bongos and the, uh, and, and the peyote and we'll, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll, uh, you know, we'll convene and, uh, and let you know next week. There you know. go. Yeah. It must've been, and, and we've had this conversation, you know, because like every waking moment, you were your brain had to have been at least not actively creating stories, but scanning for them. You know, yeah. you, you, a part of your mind would have had to have for those several years always been set aside to the possibility of okay, I need to be look at, on the lookout for for this idea. Even if I've, I'm, I'm having dinner with my wife, 
You know, mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily 100% always there because this is a problem that's never going away. It's a wonderful problem yes. to have, but yeah. you've got, I mean, you're a workhorse. You've got that, to generate stories. That, that is exactly it. And the pressures that come with being in production are only rivaled by the pressures of being in pre-production <laughs> when you have to come up with story ideas. One is actually delivering scripts. And the other is coming up with ideas that you can turn into scripts. So those two are like the most pressure felt. I mean, production is sure. There's a lot of pressure in production, but at that point, there's so many other, you know, cogs in the machine that are contributing and, 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 you know, helping to put it all together. You know, you're on a schedule and you're, and, but when you're writing those scripts, um, I mean, you're in a you're on a schedule, but you're on your own. Whereas when you're trying to come up with an idea, there is no schedule. It's kind of fast and loose, but sooner is better than later. Absolutely. One of my issues with myself, and mm-hmm. so is it called imposter syndrome? Where I, I I'm not sure if that's the definition or not. Where you know I've 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 achieved something, and it's like. I don't know if I'm actually entitled to be where I am. Yeah, that's impossible. And everybody okay. has imposter syndrome. Everybody. Where it's like you're doing 40 episodes a year. Mm-hmm. And by Atlanta season three, you have done 40 episodes a year f- for starting three years. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would always be able to say to myself, I'm cut out for this. This is totally reasonable. Yeah. You know, but it's I mean, insane. But it's when insane. you're in, in the weeds, so to speak, that becomes your reality. And you accomplish it. And so it doesn't become, you, to be honest, it, it, it never struck us, it never struck me as anything amazing, as such, a, as such an amazing feat until years later <laughs> when I look back on it and I consider, you know, um, as I mentioned, like, you know, writer's rooms that take three months to break 10 episodes and, and uh, um, you know, the work that goes into like these 10, 13 episodes. Yeah. Uh, runs that that are the norm now that we would do 40 episodes of television a year and that you know with frankly half the 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 the, uh this uh writing room size uh than than most shows today it's just absolutely crazy when you look at it that way it's so it's so amazing to recognize the overall quality of all those shows Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you would at some point or another, you would have to say, well, one of these is going to be a dud, you yeah. know, and there were a few. and we've had those conversations, yeah. you know, especially you, me and Darren and and the entire mm-hmm. uh, uh, team there. You know, there was there were a couple of missteps here and there about how mm-hmm. we, we handled how we felt about some of those. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it's the 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 caliber of the quality of what you achieved cannot be understated. You know, mm-hmm. it was a, mm-hmm. it was a job well done. It really was. Thank you. Um, okay, so this is kind of a. Are we good on time? Oh yeah. Okay. We. <laughs> so it's one of those writers the writer issues. Mm-hmm. Lannis is always running out of power. The the a mm-hmm. a running uh, issue in the it's kind of like with um 
with Walking Dead and the number of bullets they have and everything else like that. Like they're mm-hmm. keeping track of inventory of resources and everything else. When you're when you're watching Atlantis, there's a part of what's going on in your mind. Part of your mind is how much power does Atlantis have at this given time? You mm-hmm. know, it's one of those things that you have to be aware of because it's it it indicates how Atlantis, how much Atlantis has the ability to defend itself at any given point throughout the ongoing story. Mm-hmm. Was it deliberate that ZPM and drone workshops were never found on Atlantis? Because if the city is portable, yes. if it's a if it's a if it's a spaceship, essentially, mm-hmm. it would either have factories on board that would design yep. those, or yes. they would be on the ocean floor in that station where we found being built down there. So there was a factory mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean. In my mind, it existed, but I think, I mean, obviously Atlantis as an asset uh, would be something that, that that would just be too dear to, to give up to an enemy, but even more so would be the, the power um, shop, if you will, the power manufacturing shop. So in my mind, there is probably a, an access point in the city to this manufacturing shop that in my mind doesn't exist necessarily within the reality or the universe um, in which Atlantis exists. I think there's a door to either a parallel universe or a pocket uh, of space time where this, this, and I think it's somewhere in the city, but they, they just, have not found it or did not find it it would and, and they didn't find it because it would have just made things we thought a little too it would have been invincible yeah you know i mean they could go around and pommeled whoever they wanted and yeah. you know they're they they were overwhelmed by the wraith's numbers and they mm-hmm. simply mm-hmm. did not have enough power to mm-hmm. deal with the situation and i think it's one of the things that we'll get into to later on but i was always the tower one of the things that the tower suggests is that there's more than one atlantis Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of the city. And that was, I think, the one nugget that that we took away from that that was, I think, not um, – that really needed to be resolved was mm-hmm. how many Atlantis-class ships were there, you know. Yeah. Um, because if Atlantis is supposed to be the crown jewel of their civilization, having mm-hmm. literally withstood several million years of history, you know, without really changing that much, um, what was – you know, going on there. And it's just one of those things. It's like, guys, we're pounding out 40 stories a year. Give us a break. <laughs> Please, God. Be thankful you have a good show to watch. <laughs> Next week on Stargate Atlanta, Shepard watches paint dry. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's cool, though, that there's some mm-hmm. kind of pocket of, of reality. Because, I mean, yeah. they're, they're definitely – ZPMs in particular are not charged in our universe. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's neat. Uh, have you ever uh, Tune Tamasha, Tune mm-hmm. Tamasha? Have you ever watched a foreign dub of Stargate? And if so, which had which one did you like? And... I, you know, I I never watch anything dubbed. I okay. I hate dubbed. I, I I just find them silly. Apologies to people who like dubbed uh, stuff. Uh, but I was in Japan. Oh no, sorry. I, I'm the opposite. I don't watch. Oh no, no, that's right. Dub no yeah yeah no, no sorry dubbed in English I don't watch anything dubbed in English sorry right. I so, don't blame you subtitles all original the way. I watched the original yeah yeah uh, subtitles uh, I was in Japan and I agreed to do a um, uh, kind of a little panel 
for um, it was a Japanese uh, cable network that was running uh, Stargate at the time. In any case, they actually showed a clip of Stargate and Teal'c had the lowest uh, voice I've ever heard. Register. Yes, yes. <laughs> incredibly, incredibly low. And that kind of uh, struck me. It was just interesting to hear, you know, our characters speak Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> I would love a, a, a reel uh, of uh, Stargate scenes from the different language. That's something that I would that, love that, to That create. would be fun. Yes, German, French, Yeah, we've got, we've got 30 countries yeah. uh, in this room yeah. right now. You all send me a clip. Yes. No, I, I couldn't. I, well, I you can do know. a super cut. Yeah, could I get away with that on YouTube? Okay, we're going to table Maybe. that one. What you should do is like pick one scene. Yes. As you sort of intercut, just have them change. That's exactly uh, right. Pick languages. like window of opportunity and just go yeah. for it. Yeah. That would be great. Um, uh, Adam Strange, hello from Ukraine, Mr. Malazzi, huge fan of SG. Does Twin Peaks and Stargate share the same universe? The great Donis Davis is in both. Yes, I don't, you know, I've never seen Twin Peaks. Don't, oh, you should. I, I, I am well aware. The first season was brilliant. The second season was kind of, man, I didn't watch the, uh, the new one. Okay. Um, but, uh, I would say... No, because uh, even though they are both military men, uh, Colonel Briggs is Colonel Briggs, and General Hammond was General Hammond. So uh, probably not the same universe. That's fair. Yeah. Hellcats. Yes. Did, did you ever feel like the introduction of the Ori made Anubis's transition to partial ascension make less sense? I don't think it really, really? muddies it up that much. Yeah. The the whole point is that there are many there are many planes of existence. Yeah. And the Ori are just operating on a different wavelength. One yes. of the things that was really interesting about um about where you guys took it in the show, and it's implied through the um the story, mm-hmm. but not uh, but not effectively stated, but it's implied that the Ori and the ancients occupy specific quadrants of space-time mm-hmm. that they're they're actually they're actually one's over here and the other's over here and if they interfere with one another there is a physical clash which we witnessed twice we witness it in um at uh, the end of threads and we witness it in arc of truth as well because they're they're in their mm-hmm. galaxy and the ancients kind of occupy pegasus and and milky way otherwise they would be interfering with one another constantly yeah exactly um, but that's exactly it i mean in in, in my mind there are uh, multiple planes of existence. That's fair too. And uh, f- uh, last but not least, George uh, Dramasoitis. Any explanation as to why most aliens speak English? Um, as I've often said, in my <laughs> mind, they are not speaking English. But uh, once you pass through the gate, as you're going through the wormhole, you are implanted with nanites that uh, allow you to translate or, you know, uh, understand alien languages as though you were listening to English and kind of vice versa. That's fair. That's fair. Mm-hmm. I think that that's one of one of the um, 
successes of Star Trek is that they really built in the the, the UT, the, the the idea of the universal translator, especially in Enterprise. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. definitely are able to backsell it and say, this is mm-hmm. something we've been working on. It's in our communicator pens. You know, if if I had the chance to go back to SG-1 season one and, and stick my head in that writer's room when, when John and Brad and Rob were all mm-hmm. there, one of the th- one of the only things that I would have said is on the first mission, make a Gould UT that that uh, Stargate yeah. Command gets its hands on. Yeah. And then and that, that explanation is taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. So but, you know, it's it still makes for a great beat in a wormhole extreme about I forget which uh, uh, which um, uh, crew member says, why not? They speak English. You know, there's just certain tropes of sci-fi and sooner or later, you just kind of got to get over it and watch the show. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it still would be good to, you know, give a sort of theoretical reasoning for why. Absolutely. Why this is. Yep. The show must go on. It's as simple yeah. as that. Joe, thank you once again. For oh, this was I, delightful. I, I always, always a lot of enjoy fun. these, you know, um, and uh, I'm looking forward to to future future seasons with you. Thank so you spe- for speaking of speaking of which, I'm just curious. So, are we going to go straight through SG One and then move on to Atlantis? What would you like to do? Whichever you, I, I believe it is your call. My because at this at this point, this is the point where you make the decision whether you're sort of alternating between right. Atlantis and SG One, or if you want to just finish SG One. And then move on to Atlantis. Considering that we speak once a month, mm-hmm. I think that it's important for us so that we can say, well, last month, we, because the information from last month is going to be fresher in our minds, and it'll be helpful yeah. if it wasn't the opposite show. Right. Yeah, so okay. That makes fair. In that, my that opinion, I yeah. think we should, we should stick with each show so that Perfect. as we move along in time here, we'll be like, okay, last month I did – I do remember talking about this. It's clearer to me than two months ago. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. – We've had that benefit so far, and we haven't really thought about it because it's only been yeah. one show. So, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. my friend, absolute pleasure to have you as always. Thank you. Thanks. So, you uh, take care of that little one there. I hear. I will. She's going. getting cranky. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's, Go to uh, it's dinner time. Aww. All right, again, my friend. Thanks. Take it easy, David. I'll, I'll catch you in April. All right. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. Joseph Malazzi, writer and executive producer of Stargate SG One. Questions for me. Jenny Steven. Hello. Let's get Craig Engler or jo- Joanna Delgado. So I'm, I'm guessing that those are um, sci-fi network people. That, that would be great. Um, I, will, I will look into that. I don't know if they'll do it, though. We'll have to see. And if we do do it, fans, you cannot chew them up. If they come on the show, then we have to be nice to them. I have wanted to get... Um, and I need to make a concerted effort now because we have just passed 10,000 subscribers. Yay to us. Thank you all so much for making this possible. Um, I, I've, I, I need to reach out to Charlie Cohen because he is so critical to the success of Stargate from the MGM side. He was a fan of this show. And I, I don't think we will ever truly appreciate how much he had to do with that um we've had little like insights here and there you know there's a portrait of him at the end of stargate sg1 a celebration of 10 years the the celebration book and that's there for a reason i'd love to have him on but yeah craig engler joanna delgado jenny help me um help me with that one (laughs) so 
those higher industry connections. You should have seen me try and get some of the Air Force people. I wanted to have John Jumper on. Um, I wanted to have General Ryan on because um, their cameos were terrific. And uh, you know, I, I, the Air Force is like, sorry, we can't get in touch with them. And it's like, oh, come on. I just want to have them on my show for 10 minutes. Selene, we want Christopher Heyerdahl as a guest on Dial the Gate. Christopher passed on us. So I reached out to him two or three months ago now, and he said, I appreciate the offer, but uh, I just can't right now. So I will be um, uh, trying to reach, uh, trying to, uh, I'll be approaching him again seven or eight months. I don't want to badger people. I don't think that that's a good idea. If you guys, I mean, have these people, if, if you have them on Twitter, please reach out to them and say, I would love to see you on Dial the Gate. I would love to have and see if they respond, you know, because if they say yes, okay, that, send me the screenshot at dialthegateshow at gmail.com and I'll reach out to them. Um, the people who have, uh, like um, Lou Diamond Phillips, I've, I've tried to reach out to him. Um, I haven't been able to hear back. I don't think he's ignoring me, but I just think he's so busy. Uh, Christopher Heildahl has, has said no for the time being. Um, there's a few others that I'm not going to get into, but let me tell you something. It's, th- that's the hardest part about doing this show is scheduling. That's hard. You know, I mean, I sent out 15 requests, um, last week and I've gotten responses from five of them, which I think is actually pretty good. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's all just different. Um, it's, it's different for everybody. This is a weird time right now. I know a lot of, I reached out to a lot of agents and they're like, we're not currently representing these people. You have to reach out to their managers. So, I mean, COVID hit everybody hard. There's a lot of people who are, they're not necessarily out of work, but they're suspended from a lot of stuff right now. And not everyone wants to talk. Sue Ann Braun actually made that point. Where I mean, she was she was talking with some people uh, who she wanted to have on her show, and they were like, "We're just no, not really feeling it right now." Um, and I can't say I blame them. So, uh, Mash G, did you read the books that are supposed to follow on the end of Atlantis? What did you think of them? I have not read the Legacy series. Um, I have read a few of the SG one books and from what I read, I really enjoyed them. Uh, Diana Botsford and I are friends. I have read both of her books. I cannot recommend those enough. I know I'm biased, but I cannot recommend those enough. That's, um, uh, four dragons and the drift. Uh, so those are definitely, definitely great stories. Um, let me see here. Question for David sent in via email, Michael B. In the first episode where they meet Daniel Jackson and Captain Carter discovers the dialing device, she makes a MacGyver reference, but I've seen a different version where she doesn't make that reference. I'm curious what version was first and who thought of making the MacGyver reference in the first place. Well, I I imagine it's uh, Brad and Jonathan. It's probably Jonathan because it's eliminated from the the final cut, which suggests that it was a Jonathan idea. Um, But maybe not. So Brad is – the the final cut, which which I love – for many reasons, because it's, it is the, um, it's the version of the show that you would want of the, the pilot that you would want to see knowing the 10 seasons that follow. It recognizes that there are 10 seasons that follow. So like Kowalski saying, Colonel, I didn't even know you didn't have a child. I I didn't even know you had a son and it, it backs, they, they retro actively make him Jack's best friend by like season two. So the line about him not having a son is cut. Things like that um, are the case with with Final Cut, and as as it's one of it's one of my 
not issue with the final cut, but just a a mild, mild concern is that Children of the Gods was was basically the brainchild of two people, and the final cut is the brainchild of one of those people at the end of the day, making it form fitting to what SG one was. So I I love both versions, but the MacGyver reference was in the original Showtime broadcast version, and then uh, Amanda Tapping uh, did uh, du- dubbing of her audio. They relooped a lot of the main uh, actors' audios for uh, Children of the Gods. Final cut. Uh, I know that uh, Peter Williams uh, came back in. They did they did a new uh, blue screen for him with the helmet, so that he could redub uh, the Gould version of the Gould words of uh, "Dial the Chopper Eye," um, because it's like, well, how did they get out of SGC? So that the device that appears in Continuum is actually how they did it. We just don't see it on screen. Amanda Tapping's voiceover uh, voice work was changed, especially in the wide shots in the Abaddonian um, uh, the cartouche room. And Christopher Judge's performance was completely changed, um, g- generally for the better. But I mean, you can, as far as I'm concerned, you can kind of tell that it's dubbed. And I think Michael and Rick also did some voice work as well for Final Cut to to change a few things around. So MacGyver definitely long-winded answer to say MacGyver definitely came first. Um, Robert Cooper question for his next interview. Robert, uh, we had him uh, back last week. We will definitely have him for a fourth part. We're really engaging with some of these creators and a lot of their repeat episodes. This is the original intent of this show was to have these multi-part, um, long-form Joe Rogan Joe Rogan-esque uh, 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 interviews, and they're working. And I wasn't sure if it would. You know, I mean, you can only have someone back so many times before it's like, yep, I've said all I have to say about that. But there's enough content there that it's really moving forward. And so that now that we're six months in, um, uh, as of the 3rd of April, we'll be six months in. And we've had multi, multi-part multi chapters of, of the same person coming in. It's really gratifying to see that, yes, these these are working. And there's there's enough content there to continue to have them back. And they don't feel bored. They don't feel like they're getting asked the same questions again and again. Um, and that's partly attributed to you guys asking a lot of uh, the questions that keep them interested in coming back. Because let me tell you something. Rob Cooper, you know, Joseph Balazzi, you know, as as much as as they're, they're chill with me, they'll be like, you know what, David, I've already done this. It's been a great show. Truly, you know, best of luck. But, you know, I'm good. And that hasn't happened yet. So that's great. And... That's uh, I hugely attribute that uh, to you guys as well. Gary Jones is coming up next. He interviews Jennifer, who is Jennifer Kirby, uh, my uh, production assistant. So that's who you're going to be meeting. Jennifer is actually one of the ones who submitted um, a video for the Cliff Simon Memorial. She was actually, I think, she, was she the last one or one of the last in that uh, video series that we did uh, honoring Cliff. And I do want to have a part two of that. I just haven't figured out when I'm going to do it because I had a lot of submissions that I wasn't able to get to. I work all weekend. And when, when we, when I found out that we had lost Cliff, I was working 12, 13 hour days in between that time and the time that we aired the, the memorial episode. And there was only so much that I could build to fit in because I have to sit at my computer and literally build all these tables. Darren and Linda really gategabber made that happen because there was just no time for me to sit down and do that. And that show would not have been possible without them. I think that's everything. 
if I'm not mistaken. There was quite the laundry list there. Thanks so much to everyone who submitted questions um, for Joe. Dial the Gate is brought to you every week for free. And we do appreciate you watching. But if you want to support the show further, buy yourself some of our themed swag. We're now offering t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, and hoodies for all ages in a variety of sizes and colors at Redbubble. And we currently offer four themed designs and hope to add more in the future. The word cloud designs have both a solid background or transparent background option, so you have some flexibility between choosing a light or dark color. Do keep that in mind when you're making your selection. Checkout is fast and easy, and you can even use your Amazon or PayPal account. Just visit dialthegate.com redbubble.com and thanks for your support and dial the gate is partnered with 3dtech.pro 3dtech pro for the month of march to give you a chance to get your very own atlantis puddle jumper as seen there and bc303 to enter to win these items you need to use a desktop or laptop computer and visit dialthegate.com scroll down to submit trivia questions your trivia may be used in a future episode of dial the gate the submission form does not uh currently work for mobile devices there's three slots for trivia you only need to fill out one but if you want to submit three questions that's perfectly fine your trivia must be received before april the 1st or the joke's on you. If you are the lucky winner, I'll be notifying you via your email to get your address. Be sure to check out our partner's website for more Stargate-related merchandise at 3dtech.pro. And that's all she wrote. Uh, I've it, When I reach the end of every show, my brain is racking because it's like I'm, I know that I'm missing something. I did not pull any Stargate art for this week. I'm, I apologize for that. Um, just trying to reorient myself for uh, a lot of things here. And... Uh, move forward with that we have a a great lineup of guests coming next week we have peter deloise director and producer this man is one of my favorite people on the earth and i uh he hasn't done a lot of interviews lately and i was like you know what let's reach out to him let's see if he'll be interested and he responded to me I think in record time, like five minutes, he FaceTimed me. We talked for, for nearly an hour um, about the goals of the show and even about Dagwood, his his role on, on Sequest and everything else. Just caught up. I haven't talked to this man in 14 years. Um, and I think it's going to – I think you're going to love it. I think you're going to love having him on. And so he's going to be April the 4th at 12 p.m. Pacific time. You're not going to want to miss that one. Ask him a question because he is uh, – he is he is a force, <laughs> and there's going to be a lot of laughs. Elise Levesque, Chloe Armstrong, is going to be joining us at 2 p.m. Pacific time, uh, two hours after Pete on uh, um, uh, April the 4th as well. So uh, come in and have some questions ready for SGU's Chloe Armstrong. April the 11th, we have Jay Brazo, Harlan, and the Lord Protector from Stargate SG-1 and Atlantis, respectively. And then uh, David Hewlett, part two of David Hewlett, will be later that day on April the 11th. April the 25th, Musetta Vander, Sean Ock, will be joining us as well. Really excited about this slate. I've got more for you in the works. I've just organized our giveaway for the month of April. I cannot wait to show you this giveaway. It is so cool. The fan community is really something, and uh, there was a member of the community who reached out and showed me this stuff. He wanted to get some of his product behind me here on the shelf, and I was like, well, I want to give one away. And he's like, okay. <laughs> so he's going to be our sponsor in April. In April, I'm not going to announce that until the end of, uh, of this month. But yeah, that's where we're at. 
I think that's everything I've got covered, and I think uh, we're good to go from there. Gary is going to be taking it away in just a moment, um, just half an hour with a fan interview, so you enjoy that. And that's what we've got. I'm David Reed for Dial the Gate. Thanks for watching. See you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acri. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith Homel, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes, at dialthegate.com. <laughs>